Welcome back to the Remembering Ethan podcast. I'm Chris Tafoya. My guest today is Todd Miller. Todd has been a good buddy over the years, and I met him around the same time I met Ethan, of course, because those guys have been performing together for many years. And uh, they were probably together about five years before I met Ethan. And I saw Todd perform a whole lot hanging around Ethan, uh, both in Tate and with their acoustic duo that they had for years. And I was very excited for this interview because Todd and Ethan spent a lot of time together in an acoustic duo, which was a constant thing for them throughout the years, even though they were both in separate projects. So I knew that uh, Todd was really close with Ethan and they've been together through thick and thin. And um, I knew he'd have some wonderful insight into the time that he spent with Ethan. And Todd was very willing and um, excited to, to talk with me for this podcast. So without any delay, let's get right into the conversation with Todd Miller. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Todd. Hey, Chris. How are you, bud? Good, man. Very good. I'm excited to talk to you. It's been a long time, man. Miss you out here. Yeah, I miss being out there, too. I'm getting a lot of that from my my old AZ buddies. <laughs> I, 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 I tell them all the same thing. You know, the day will come when I'll get out there and we'll all have a beer and do a little something. Now come out. Your kids are almost the same age as mine, man. Come out and you can stay at my place, bring the kids, and we'll have a play date. We should definitely plan something like that because, you know, talking to all you guys, I definitely miss all of you. Um, so before we get into Ethan, um, I just kind of wanted to check in with you. Like, what are you up to nowadays? I know that uh, you're probably not hitting the music as hard as you used to, but are you still involved in some music projects? We're um, still still pretty busy. The uh, after um, Tate kind of went away, there was uh, we formed a band called the Walkins. The Walkins have been around since that time, so I I I can't think of how it's but it's probably been sixteen years now. That yeah. We've been together and we've kind of evolved from a from a party bar band. Uh, into what we are today, which is pretty much all we do anymore, is just corporates and weddings. For the most part, we're all we all got kids, and we're all too old to want to hang out in the bars till two o'clock in the morning anymore. So we'd rather go make more money and be done with our gig by ten o'clock, <laughs> so we can sure. get home to our kids. <laughs> yeah. So we don't we don't do much uh, bar gigging anymore. But uh, but yeah, we're still busy, man. Busy season's coming upon us now. It's September, October, November is, is pretty insane. So um, it's not a, it's not like it used to be. It's only maybe we're only playing maybe eight gigs a month, but I've got the day job now too. So it's, okay. uh, it's enough to uh, keep me busy. Teaching, right? Aren't you a teacher? Yeah. Teaching high school. Cool, man. Yeah. Teaching high school I math now. Oh, that's right. You're one of those uh, intelligent guys that I hear about. You got, you got, <laughs> our, dude, I remember Ethan telling me about, he goes, don't let Todd fool you, man. That guy's 
fucking smart, you know, he's super, especially in math, he used to brag about you and your math skills. And I do remember hearing that. <laughs> I got everybody fooled, man. I put on a good <laughs> show. Right. <laughs> and what, would your students say they like you or are you pretty gruff with them? Uh, depends. Some of them, <laughs> the kids that I teach are all very underprivileged. I, I teach at a ch uh, chapter one charter school where all our kids are troubled uh, is probably the word to call them. Half of our, our population is either homeless or a refugee or been kicked out of some other school. So we've got a, we've got a pretty rough population. Some of them are, are looking for discipline, if that makes any sense. Some of them don't have any sort of, of family figure that's going to take care of them. So uh, yeah, some of them like it and the others are just trying to get away with some shit. And I don't usually let them do that, but um, I'm tough with them. I'm firm, but it's uh, most of the time they, they appreciate it. <laughs> sure, man. Well, you know, that's a population that I like because uh, as you know, I'm a teacher as well. And, um, I've always gravitated towards, you know, like um, juvenile probation uh, centers or like when, when the pandemic hit, I was working for um, the judge, the, pro, the juvenile probation judge in our county, and I was a tutor for minors on probation. So I'd go to all the schools and tutor kids individually, help them get their grades up so it looks good when they go to their court cases and, you know, give them study skills. Oh, stuff. man, that'd be that'd be great. I'd love a, a gig like that. Oh, it was super cool. It didn't pay very well, but not, nothing that helps society pays very well, you know, that truly helps society. Unfortunately. 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 But I dug it. And when I was in Phoenix, I used to do night, I would teach night classes at the juvenile correctional facility out there. And I'll tell you what, man, those kids, I, I don't know about you, but they've got the best personalities and the best jokes and the street smarts. And if you can just turn one or two of them to the good side, to the, to the bright side of things, they can make a real change, you know? Yeah. And, and in, in my class, I employ a strategy a lot where I'll pick the, you figure out pretty quickly within the first two classes, which kids are the problem kids and which ones have the biggest issues. And uh, one of my strategies is to pull the toughest, meanest kid out into the hallway and, and uh, tell him, uh, tell him I want him to be the leader in the class. And I want him, I want to pile it all on him. I want people, I want him to be my, my right-hand man. And uh, when I pull him out originally, they think I'm going to bitch him out because that's all they've ever been used to hearing. And all of a sudden they hear like, wait, let me get this right. You want to, you want me to help you? You want me, you want to give me responsibility? And, and then I've actually had like some of the biggest, toughest kids in the class now that are my best students. And if some of the, other kids get out of line, they'll go, shut up, get to work. Good little tool. So yeah, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take i I'll take a punk criminal rehab disadvantaged youth any day over any spoiled rich kid Scottsdale school that you can throw at me. Let me tell you what, man, when my wife and I got married, we moved to, to San Antonio and I got a job there at a Catholic school. And so I was raised Catholic. You know, I, I can't say that I practice much nowadays, but I was raised. So I know all the rituals and the whole night. Dogma. Art. Yeah. And so <laughs> I figured, you know, and where I was, where I grew up, people were actually were pretty good people at church. You know, uh, at least it seemed that way. You know, as you get older, you realize other things. But 
I thought, okay, I'm working at a church. Everyone's going to be, you know, have kindness and that empathy and all that. <laughs> Tell you what, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I was thinking, man, I wish I could go back to Phoenix down in Glendale where I had like Mal Sabatrusha and Calle Trece kids, like gang kids. And, you know, yeah. and they're the ones that actually appreciate you when you're trying to help them out. So you, those kids are lucky to have you, Todd. And it sounds like I've had a lot of years working with kids like that. Sounds like you're doing the right thing. I've employed that strategy myself plenty of times and it works. Yeah, it works. It works. It does. All right, man. Well, great. Yeah. Thanks for uh, catching everyone up on what you've been up to nowadays. So um, I guess a good place to start would be how you met Ethan. Can you remember? Remember the first time you laid eyes on him? Yeah, I do actually. The, um, we had started a band when I came out of college. There was, you know, I'm, you've already interviewed Dean Miller, I'm assuming, right? Not yet. I was, yet. I was supposed to, but I had to cancel because we got sick. So I've got him coming up oh, that's uh, right. this weekend, I think. So coming out of college, um, I used to be friends and I used to go see the band Mogion all the time. Um up in Flagstaff, they used to play a place, great bar called the Zoo Club that they'd play with all the time. And I went to school in Flagstaff. And in the, in the time I was living up there, I got to be friends with Dave Miller, um, who was Dean Miller's brother. Um, and Dave Miller decided to leave Mogion because he was going to school. Um, he and I stayed friends. And I got to meet his brother, Dean. And then when I graduated from college, we decided to three of us to form a band. So I'm, I'm going about this the long path. Hope you don't mind my meandering here. Um, but Dave and Dean Miller and I started a band called Who's Your Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> That's a cool name. <laughs> uh, back then, it was the, pretty much the joke. Right. Um, and a couple years into it, Dave Miller decided that he had to quit. He was going to go back to school and get, some, get a degree in what he does now, which is a lot of video processing and recording, that type of thing. Um, so I needed a new bass player. So there's a band in town here called Young Country, um, who I was also really good friends with, and a, and a great guy named Teddy Dakina was a friend of mine. Called him up and said, Teddy, I need a bass player for my band. You got anybody you can suggest? And Teddy, I said, <laughs> I said um, we're not serious. We're not that good. We're just looking to, we're looking for somebody that's a pretty good looking dude and likes to have fun because right now we're just drinking a lot and playing in bars and trying to hook up with girls. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the words out of Teddy's mouth were, I got the perfect guy for you. <laughs> <laughs> so he sent me Ethan's information and I talked to Ethan on the phone one night. He said, yeah, well, I'm playing tonight with, um, what was the name of that band? Uh, as is maybe no the 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 guy that not rock lobster uh what's the chris it'll come to me through the threat him and tony were playing with this band that um was a show band top 40 type of thing a lot of tracks um anyways they were playing it at Club Rio that night, Tempe. It's like, oh yeah, pop on out, check check out the band, and you know, say hi on break or whatever. So I got there, 
And there he was, large as life. And he was wearing this, I still remember it to this day. He was wearing this long-sleeved blue suede shirt, unbuttoned to like the middle of his chest. And his hair was just flying everywhere. And he was sweating his ass off. <laughs> but there he was in all his Ethan glory, dancing around, laughing his ass off. And uh, pretty much the I watched him for about five minutes before I went, yeah, this is the guy for sure. So he went on break. We exchanged numbers. And uh, that's pretty much it. He came, uh, he came and watched us play one night. And he said, yeah, I'm in. He said, it looks like a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, long story short, I got introduced to him from a guy named Teddy Dakina, and he joined the band Who's Your Daddy back in the year, probably would have been 2000. Yeah, yeah, it was around 2000, because it was 1999, no, 2000, because the uh, Bush-Gore election was going on at the time, I remember specifically, because we used to have the uh, news on while we were practicing. So it was right around 1999-2000. Um, that was it. We became really close uh, friends and partners in crime after that pretty quickly. And then we started playing at this place called Anchiladas. And about a year into playing there, the manager of the bar said, hey, Jimmy Buffett's coming into town. Uh, can you just do a two-man acoustic show, play some Jimmy Buffett songs uh, before the concert? And we said, well, we've never done that. But yeah, that sounds like fun. I'm sure we could do something. So Ethan came over to my house a few nights in a row, and we knocked out 10 Jimmy Buffett songs and a few other things. Played this little show before the Jimmy Buffett concert. We were terrible. It was it was horrible. <laughs> We're pretty sure somebody pity tipped us a hundred bucks that night. Um, but we had so much fun, just the two of us cracking jokes, playing off each other, and probably drank more than we should have. And I think I almost fell off the stool a couple times. And that was the beginning of Todd Nathan. Yeah. So that was a Todd Nathan became a thing, and we started doing duo acoustic shows even more than we played in the band and that went on for you know the, the whole 15 years that we were together you know yeah so much to the point where we were playing four or five times a week with each other and Sturgis Waters <laughs> had a pretty funny line one time he said dude before I met you um he said before I actually met you I th I'd heard of you and I really thought your last name was Nathan. Because <laughs> everybody kept talking about this Todd Nathan. He's like, I thought your last name was Nathan. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah man. We, were, we, were, we were close and inseparable and gigged together four times a week for 10, 12 years. I don't even remember how many times I saw you guys do your acoustic deal you know you guys are synonymous with the two-man acoustic thing i'm actually um you know you guys kind of helped me model my chris and randy project after what you were doing you guys are great too man you were so much fun to watch too that was great oh thanks todd well hey man you what know was the, what was what was the place in tempe the that you guys the, were at all the time dos gringos trailer park yeah 
<laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Dos Quintos. And that was, man, that was a lot. of Oh, it was. They treated us very well, too, man. We had an awesome, uh, what's it called when you, uh, like, they give you a, a bar tab and they paid us well. Yeah. They threw a cartoon of us, threw it up on the wall. <laughs> I mean, we were like, yep. we had that place <laughs> on lockdown and it was fun. Yeah. But, hey, you know, you and Ethan were uh, uh, just, uh, it was real fun watching you guys play as well, you know. And I definitely have some questions here on my list, you know, where I wanted to get little more into the acoustic thing because it was such a huge uh part of your relationship with ethan you know and i think that yeah. probably you more than any other musician have more of an intimate relationship with him just because i know how the dynamic is when it's just you and another guy playing acoustic guitar you know you get closer yeah. with them and you share a lot more experiences and you make a lot more money than when you're splitting it with a whole band and all that kind of stuff and yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, do you remember the very first gig you ever played with them? Like the very first time that you guys got in front of people. Do you I remember? believe, I'm pretty sure it's one of two things. It was either um, we traveled to do a gig in Lake Havasu City. I'm pretty sure that was it. I could check with Dean Miller, but I'm pretty sure that there was this boat show that we played every year in Lake Havasu for the big cigarette boats, whatever the names of the boats were, I forget. I'm pretty sure that's the first time that Ethan ever played with us is we actually drug him out of town to, uh, to a big three day debauchery event in, uh, in Lake Havasu and uh, kind of baptized him by fire. <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure that was that. It was either that or enchiladas but I'm pretty sure it was Lake Cavasu. And did you, did you notice right away? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious that he had quite a gregarious personality and he was an easy guy to get along with, you know, but um, another thing that a lot of guys have been talking about and, and girls, you know, everyone that I've talked to is just his talent. I mean, he was just so good on his instrument. I mean, was that something that you noticed right away or did his personality? Oh, yeah. Immediately, immediately from the first time he played with us, he was the best guy in the band. He was the best musician in the band from the minute he stepped into it. He was, you know, it, it's kind of like I told him when I when I hired him, I said, look, man, we're we're a bunch of guys just having fun, picking a guitar in a bar, trying to trying not to drink too much and trying to pick up on girls. <laughs> uh I wasn't lying. He was the, you know, we were, we were okay at what we did, but from the second he stepped into the band, we kind of all looked at each other and went, Oh, that's what that's supposed to sound like. <laughs> so he'd say something like we'd be learning a song and he'd say, Oh no, it's the, it goes to three, four there with the diminished third. And we'd look at him like, what are you talking about? That's a D right. It's a D right. And it goes like this. Jung, jung, jung. That's right. Isn't that how it goes? So, yeah, he definitely immediately brought a uh, musicianship to the band that wasn't necessarily uh, wasn't necessarily missing because, you know, Dave Miller is a fantastic, amazing bass player, too. But, uh, yeah, he stepped into the band, was immediately the best musician in the band. So it was a lot of fun. Do you remember uh, how many bands did you play with them over the course of your guys' time together? Do you remember 
all of them and names of them? It was pretty. It was who's your who's your daddy until about two thousand. I want to say two thousand two, two thousand three, uh, maybe two thousand three, um, and then um, who's your daddy? Kind of when it's when it's ran its course and it turned into Tate, uh, which was uh, Tony and Alan Chadwick and Todd, me and Ethan. So that turned into Tate. Tate stayed together for. I don't know, four or five years till, um, till it ended. And then, uh, and then after that, we were never in another band together full time, but we continued to do the two man acoustic thing forever. And he certainly sat in with my, right after Tate ended, I started the walk-ins and Ethan was my go-to fill-in guy. Anytime my bass player couldn't be there. So, um, we still continue to do our two man thing for forever, you know, right up until we lost him. He and I were still playing together every once in a while. Um, but uh, yeah, he and then you know, of course, whenever I could, I I had him fill in for me and in, in my band. So really, just those two bands we were in together forever. Then of course the fifteen years of us doing acoustic shows together four times a week also was probably about all we needed of each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have some questions about that coming up here in a minute, you know, cause it's like uh, Randy and I, you know, we had our, we had our moments where we were, could get sick of each other and that kind of thing. You know um, I'd say 80, 89.9% of the time we were in love and uh, there was 11 point whatever percent of the rest of the time. That we weren't in, right? right yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't sure. help. It's like I having know. a brother, right? It's like Ethan was. I mean, I always kind of thought of you guys as musical brothers, you know. Well, you know, so talking about the acoustic, the acoustic stuff, you know, um, some of the like um, when you guys did you ever approach it in a way where you thought where you, you and Ethan would sit down and say, okay, let's do these songs and these songs. I mean, how how did you come up with the songs that you chose? to do at your shows? Did you just kind of randomly show up and play whatever you knew or was there any kind of organization? Well, it, it, it evolved over the years. When we first started doing it, we got so serious about it when we realized um, how, how much fun we were having doing it um, and actually, you know, how easy it was to make money doing it. We were pretty serious about it. So we had like one practice a week where we'd say, all right, let's learn these three songs this week. And we'd show, he'd show up to my house or I'd go to his house and we would learn three songs in the span of, you know, hour and a half, two hours and, and knock them out and have them ready for the next show. And we did that for a long time. That's why, I mean, to this day, I've got the Todd and Ethan list, which has got about 300 songs on it. You know, wow. that we, that we, at one point or another, we forgot a lot of them over the years, you know, but at sure. one point in time, we probably knew 200 plus songs at a time you know um so uh but that evolved over the years and we both got busier and we both started playing a lot more and we weren't in the same band together anymore then that kind of evolved into if it was something really hard we'd try to hey why don't you stop by my house on the way home from the gig and we'll drink some beers and go over this song okay and then that kind of devolved into hey uh here's a song i'm gonna learn this week it's in uh i'm gonna play it in G. 
I'll see you at the gig. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we'd kind of learn it on our own and show up and try to play it together without, without practicing it at first. Uh, sometimes that went fantastic. Most of the time it went just fine, but other times it went, wait, that's not, that's not how I heard it. So we got busier as we went on. And when we started having so much else going on in our, in our other lives, it was harder to get together. You know, we were opposite ends of this, the city by that time. And the, the opportunities to, to get together and, and learn and learn songs together kind of fell by the wayside, unfortunately, because we had, a, we had a lot of fun when we used to just sit at my house together for hours at a time and, drink Jack and Cokes and go over songs and sit on the couch and laugh our asses off. So it was, uh, I was, it was pretty sad to see that go away, but it was, it is what it is. People, people get busy when they get older and sure. get kids and yeah. et cetera. Did he, did either of you ever have to use, uh, exercise your veto power? Like, did he ever bring you songs where you're like, no, I'm not doing that. Or did you ever bring stuff to him or were you guys pretty open to whatever the other guy wanted to do? I, I think I don't think we ever vetoed another like a song that the other guy wanted to do. I think I think the if it was new, what as you probably know, when you're playing with one other guy and it's all up to you, the the thing that gets tedious is if you don't learn some new songs, you get really tired of playing the same songs over and over and over again. So it really didn't matter if a, if a guy brought a new song to the table that one of us didn't like it instantly is like, Oh good. Fresh meat for the song list. Um, and we'd always kind of treat it our own way. There were plenty of songs over the years where uh, like I'd call or he'd call one or the other and the other one of us would go, God, I'm sick of that song. Let's not play that song anymore. Yeah. The, you know, like Brown eyed girl or something or whatever it was. Oh but, man. Yeah. There were lots of songs that Ethan would say, let's play this. I'd be like, hell no, I hate that song. No, <laughs> that, I'm not playing that anymore. So to answer your question, there was nothing that ever got vetoed off the bat, but there were songs that got kicked out later on <laughs> after we played them too many times. Oh, I know all about that. Yeah, getting tired of a tune so much where it sucks your soul a little bit, you know. Yeah. And uh, every, every time you play it, it hurts. Right. Yeah. It, it almost gets to a physical, actual manifestation of pain. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. A non-musician could never understand. Like, what are you complaining about? Playing music, <laughs> it's funny. He's like, no, man, you've never done Sweet Home Alabama for 800 times. You know, just... <laughs> <laughs> out of all the places you guys played, what were, where was your favorite? Where did you guys like to mess the best? Oh, man. There were so many over the years. That's hard to say. I, I don't know if I can even remember them all. I, I mean, we had so much fun at Enchiladas back in the day, um, back when that place was a little bit more of a party spot. Um, but we had fun. God, we had fun a lot of places. We, I even loved that gig. He and I played that fountain at Desert Ridge every oh, yeah. Sunday from 2 to 4 for – for close to five, six years, every Sunday. Yeah. And as much as we hated getting up in the morning and playing it because we were always hung over the next day, <laughs> um, we loved playing out there with the kids and the families and everything. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There's been, there was all kinds of great places. Bourbon Jack's was, was even fun. Um, 
we, we, we tended to have fun pretty much anywhere we went. So right. it's hard to say that, uh, that place we played out in uh, salty, salty senorita was, was always a lot of fun. I remember those gigs. Yeah. Wasn't there a place, and, and place was, too called, uh, Jilly's or something like that, or. Oh God, Jilly's. How'd I forget about Jilly's? Yeah. <laughs> Jilly's was a ton of fun. That was over in Scottsdale Air Park. Right. Yeah. Oh man. That might be, now that you say that, that might actually be the best. We had a, uh, we had a lot of fun in that place and we met. The reason I say that that might be the best is because that's, that's one of the locations that we met a lot of the people that we're still with today. Like that's where we met Jay Allen, for example. And that's where, that's where we met quite a few people that we're still in touch with today. So that may be the best. It's, I, it was a lot of fun in that place. I had a great manager back then. Um, he took care of us really well. And it was, it was, that was place was a lot of fun. We always had a lot of people that showed up to see us. We hosted an open mic night there. And that's where, that's how we met Jay Allen and a few other people. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you said that because I kind of forgot about that. Isn't that the place where you guys had the, uh, bongo player that, that just kept showing up? <laughs> and always wanted to play on every song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was that guy's name? Oh my God. <laughs> I don't remember his name. God bless him. He was such a nice guy, but he was so annoying because he <laughs> wasn't like an open mic night thing where you'd say, okay, your turn, go play your three songs and then he'd get down. Right. <laughs> he just set up and he'd want to sit back there and play by himself the whole night, no matter who was up there. Yeah. We finally got to the point where we had to be like, dude, no, sorry. <laughs> Stop. Because he was jumping up and ruining other people's yeah, stuff. Uh, like yeah. people that would come to open mic night and try to get up and play their own songs. Yeah. He'd just get up and start playing bongos. And then whoever was playing would turn around and look and be like, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> you know what, man? There's one of those in every city, I think, though, because, you know, since I've left Phoenix, I've been in San Antonio, Green Bay up here in upper Michigan, um, close to Dallas. And, and I'd always go hit open mics, you know, and kind of do the tunes that I did back in the day with my buddies in AZ. And there was always some dude that want to jump on stage with you and just, it's like an audience that's clapping off time when you're trying to keep right, it. Right. You, know? It's, you know, I remember, uh, you know, getting back to your open mic deal at Jilly's though. I remember when, um, Jay Allen had come and done a couple tunes with you guys. And I had been, I was talking to Ethan one day and he said, man, I met this guy, super cool guy, you know, come, come out to Jilly's and, and check him out and do a couple tunes or whatever. And I remember that little era there where Jay Allen uh, sh was showing up to the open mic and then right away, you know, got into the circle pretty quick and started doing, and then he and Ashley, at the time, we're doing an like an acoustic duo. I remember that, and then that evolved into Del well, Cola and the rest of the story. Well, yeah, that's how we met Ashley too. Ash, we had met Jay, and Jay had shown up to Jay just showed up one night to play at the open mic night. And that's how we met Jay. He left and actually went to Costa Rica like the next day after the first night we met him. And we were like, dude, you better when you get back to town, you better get your ass back here. He walked out and took off. And Ethan and I sat around that night drinking a few. And 
Like, man, I really like that guy. He seems like a nice guy. I hope he comes back. <laughs> you know how it is when you host an open mic night. You always hope that the people that you like and that were actually good, you keep going, please come back. Yeah. Please come back. Um, and then a couple weeks later, Ashley, uh, as Ethan used to do quite a bit, uh, Ashley was sitting at the bar with her boyfriend at the time. And Ethan's like, that girl's really cute. And I was like, I'm like, yeah, she is. So he immediately started flirting with her right, right in front of her boyfriend. <laughs> and then we, her boyfriend came up and said, hey, my girlfriend's a singer. Can, uh, can she get up and sing a song with you guys? We said, of course, we'd love to. So she got up. Um, I actually got down because she asked for a song that Ethan knew and I didn't. And that's how we met Ashley. And then she started coming back. And then Jay came back from Costa Rica. And that's how Jay met Ashley. And then the next thing you know, Jay and Ash became a thing. They started doing their own, huh. starting to do their own acoustic show. And then they started to write some songs and they said, Hey, let's, uh, let's put a record together. Let's have Ethan play on it with Tony. And, and then they did that and had so much fun. They went, we should form a band. Let's yeah. call it Delcoa. Cause Jay Allen actually lived on the street Delcoa. That's where they got the name Delcoa from. Cause that's where Jay's parents lived at the time was a street called Delcoa. And uh, man, they were fantastic. They were a lot of fun. They were always so much fun to go watch. So, um, yeah. matter of fact, you know, I was talking to Jay Poole after I interviewed him, and uh, I brought up the idea of getting Delcoa together on a Zoom call <clears throat> with an emphasis on um, Ethan, you know, but their history and that kind of thing. And uh, he went right for it, man. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, in the not too distant future, that's that's going to be something where I'm going to get all of them together and I got a bunch of questions I want to ask them. Wow, that'll um, be a, that'll be a lot of laughs on that on that phone. Yeah, that a lot of stories there. I I need to hone my um, skills as an interviewer because I think it's going to get off track a little bit, probably. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, but for sure. Sometimes you just got to let a train keep on going, though. You know, so <laughs> it should be fun. <laughs> and hope it eventually rolls back onto the tracks but yeah <laughs> right as long as i'm not as long as they're not drinking i think we should be okay <laughs> but um <laughs> speaking of uh ethan flirting with ashley i know that um every time i went to see you guys i always spotted a, a couple girls sitting up in front batting their you know winking their eyes at you and that kind of stuff both of you did you guys ever get into a situation where you, you started having a crush on the same girl? Did that kind of thing ever happen? Uh, I don't, I mean, I'm sure we found the same girl attractive. Right. But I don't remember us ever really competing for the same girl. Okay. I think, I think Ethan and I had such different personalities and different kind of the way that we approached girls and our flirtations. I think that it was pretty easy for the girls to decide who they wanted to flirt with or for us. And we had a little bit different taste in girls too. Like he, Ethan's taste kind of varied a lot, but he kind of liked the bohemian kind of hippie kind of, he, he liked a little bit different style of girl than I did too. So there were, a, there were a couple of girls that we both were like, yeah. <laughs> and then had to do rock paper scissors to see who was gonna who was gonna chase her first. 
Um, but no, that was that was never really a thing with him and I. It was never. There was one girl that he dated for a while after I dated her, but um, it was a while apart, so it wasn't it wasn't anything weird. It was. Uh, it wasn't like we both liked her at the same time or anything. It was, but it was. Uh, yeah, that was never strangely. You think it would have been, but he and I never really competed for the same girl. That was never really a thing. You know, that's, and dude, that's something that I've been wondering, wanting to ask either one of you for years, because I was at a gig once I was watching you guys perform one time. I don't even remember, remember where it was. I mean, it was years and years ago. And there was a girl whose name I do remember, whose name I'm not mentioning right now that, that, <laughs> that told me, I would go home with either one of those guys tonight. And, uh, <laughs> and I was just sitting there like, man. And that, as soon as she said that, and she was into both of you, man, she was hot to trot. And I was just like, man, I wonder if these guys ever like get in a situation where a girl comes between them or they're competing for the same girl or, you know, and it's just something that I'd always wondered about. And I never, asked either one of you it's not that i was afraid to ask or anything i just kind of always question the back of my it was there i i don't remember i could be wrong maybe maybe somebody maybe somebody will remember differently but i don't remember there ever being a girl that came between us as far as both of us wanting her you know what i mean there there was he had a couple there was a you know a couple things that uh i think either one of my girlfriends said to him or a couple of the girls that he dated that um, I didn't approve of or, or something like that, but there was never an incidence that I can remember where we got angry at each other because no, I wanted, that was my girlfriend. I wanted to date her. Like the, we, I don't remember us ever really competing for the same girl. I don't think that, I think, like I said, I think we had such different tastes and, and the kind of girls that liked him were different than the girls that liked me too. So um, <laughs> neither, it, I, I don't want this to sound crass or anything, but neither one of us had to work very hard for it back then. It was, you know, we were, we were young and in shape and laughed and had so much fun. Like we, we didn't have to, it wasn't like we were chasing girls all the time back then. It was co So it was just like the ones that would approach us were the ones that would approach Ethan were, different than the ones that would approach me. And we were attracted to different girls. So if we saw different girls in the audience, he'd say something like, I, I, I kind of want to, you know, go talk to that girl. And I'd be like, yeah, man, she's cute. Go for it. And then I'd be off talking to a different girl who was completely different. So yeah, no, I don't, if anybody remembers differently, I'd be curious to hear, but I don't remember there being a girl that we were both attracted to at the same time being a problem <laughs> of any kind. I do. Re I remember a few times up on stage where one too many girls that were in the Ethan would show up. And he, he wouldn't want to take a break. You know, he'd be like, no, no, no. Yeah. Let's play it. You know, <laughs> we'd be like, why dude? it's break time. Like, oh, no. All right, come on, let's go. One, two, three. <laughs> Kick us into a new song. And he just would not leave the stage. <laughs> I, I have to preface this by saying it was a long time ago. Okay. It was a long time ago and we're not these okay. people anymore, but. Sure. But yeah, in the old days, we used to have this thing where, where he and I'd be playing on stage. And as the girls would start to trickle in, that he and I had um, some sort of 
knowledge of <laughs> however you want to phrase that um we would start counting them and we in the middle of the set in the middle of the set we would hold up fingers like he'd look over at me and he held up four fingers to let me know that there were currently four girls on the dance floor that he had he had uh spent some time with. or whatever <laughs> so, yeah. so we used to have uh, competing finger battles in the middle of the sets on but it was pretty fun but that you know at the same time that's kind of kind of a childish thing to do but at the same time i think that kind of speaks volumes to the the kind of person he was too because if you can have relationships with that those that many women and they all still show up to come see you even after it's over <laughs> right and they're able to tolerate each other mm-hmm. you know they still talk dance with each other on the dance floor that's yeah. you know that's keeping the peace that's uh that's i think that kind of speaks some some volume to the, the ethan's ability to be uh to be liked by everybody <laughs> there's no doubt in my mind that guy could have been a cult leader with about yeah. 20 lives if he wanted <laughs> he, had, he had david caress's hair for sure oh <laughs> <laughs> oh man you know if you if you had a chance back in the day to do an acoustic gig or a full band gig with them, which one would you choose? If I had to choose one or the other, I'd, I'd probably choose the full band gig, the full band gig. He was just, he was always so alive on stage. When we did our acoustic shows. We were usually sitting down on stools playing, you know, kind of singer songwriter type of stuff a little bit more mellow of a gig, but man, when it was full band gig, he was always, he was always full of life and on fire and running all over the stage and making faces. And then, you know, he was the life, life of the party for, for a long time. So full band gigs were always, were always more um, energetic and probably soul fulfilling than the, uh, than the acoustic gigs were a blast. And he and I had so much fun over the years, but to, if it's a matter of like what performances of his did I enjoy more being on stage with him with the full band was, is just another animal in itself. It's a, it's a completely different vibe. <laughs> All those years that you, that you played with them in those bands. Um, what did you take away from it? I mean, I've, I know that I learned a lot being on stage with Ethan and I wasn't on stage nearly as, as much as you were. And, you know, you mentioned that when Who's Your Daddy first recruited him, you didn't perceive yourself as, you know, a top-notch musician. Um, but it's almost like when you play pool with the guy who's really good, you get a little bit better, too, you know? Yeah. So yeah, the, what did you rising learn? Tide. Right. What yeah. Over the years, what, what lessons did you take away from him? He, you know he was such a great musician and, but not only that, he was a, just a really good, we all have our, our dark moments and our dark thoughts and our dark, you know, some of the things that we kind of beat ourselves up about. Um, but playing with Ethan for that long and being with him as, as long as I was and being as close to him as I was, I got to see a lot of the sides of Ethan that other people never did see, probably still never ever seen to this day either. Um, 
So I saw him at his happiest and I saw him at his, at his worst, you know, his most, his saddest. Uh, but the one thing that he never changed and the one thing that I kind of, it took me some years to kind of let it seek in and, and try to, and try to take from him is how he treated people. He's, he was just always such a good person to other people and went out of his way to do it. Um, there were so many times that I would see him go talk to somebody while we were on break and, you know, comment on, Oh, you look, look great. Your, your hair looks great today. Did you do something different? Like he was, he was always such a people person. And um, I never was much of a people person and, and I won't even claim that I am yet to this day, but I'm certainly a lot better than, than I was because of him. <laughs> it was, uh, he, he opened my eyes to a lot of the, um, the personalities of bands and the, and the, the way you treat people in your life and, and outside of your life and just knowing what's important. Um, and I certainly try to this day to be happier, even when I, don't think I should be. If that makes any, I don't know if that makes any sense. But Ethan always had a smile for everybody. He always had a nice comment for everybody. He always had a hug for anybody. Um, so I'd say that's probably the thing I learned from him the most is the importance of of really being trying to be kind and at the same time putting on a great show. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um... Another thing that I wanted to, to ask you, and that's a great answer too, you know, because I think that's also been kind of a common thread from other guys that I've asked that question to, you know, I mean, there's, of course, there's the, there's the whole part of um, improving on your instrument and your timing and your ability to direct a band and know where a song is going. You know, those are all things that I learned being around him. I, you know, when, when the Christophoya band first started playing, um, I was so green at getting up and uh, playing in time and stuff like that. And when there would be a tune that say Randy would sing, Ethan would sneak up to me and kind of pull me back to the back of the stage. And he'd say, Hey, listen to Tony's hi-hat. You hear that? Try to play your guitar right before Tony hits that, you know? Right. And, right. And playing behind of, the beat. Yeah. Yeah, you know, instead of instead of saying, "Man, your timing sucks, dude," you need to <laughs> work yeah. on, you know. And he would do it in such a kind and caring and 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 uh, just such a smooth way, you know, to where yeah. You, and then from that point on, I would always listen to Tony's hi hat, you know, and try to play just behind it, you know. And then I yeah. So there's all that stuff, but aside from that. Um, in your own personal life, you know, seeing the way that he lived his life and how he treated people consistently from person to person. And that's another thing that I'm learning, talking to all these people, because I know how he treated me and how I saw him treat people, but just no one ever falters in, in their observations of how generous he was with his time and with his personality and how he would just lift people up and just make them feel so good, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely really amazing to see. And I bet you saw a lot of it for all the years that you guys were playing. Yeah. Well, he, even towards the, the, the tail end of his, of his life when he was, you know, he had, as we all know, he had a lot of bad shit happen those last few years. The, uh, 
even through the end of that, he he was always he lost a little bit of his spark, but he it was like knowing him as much as I did, I, I could read him and I could read his body language very well. Um, and I could read his eyes, you know, I could, I could know what I knew what Ethan was thinking. All I'd have to do is he and I would have to lock eyes for 10 set for a millisecond. And I know exactly what's going on in his head. Um, even in those kind of darker days, um, I would see him kind of like, kind of start to slip backwards into a little bit of a funk. And then somebody would come up to talk to him and his eyes would go from morose to instantly bright, shiny. Oh, thanks for coming to talk to me. It's so good to see you. Give me a hug. You look great today. Hey, let's go. You know, it was just, he had this uncanny ability to, it's almost like he thought it was his job to make other people around him better. (laughs) Whether it was making the musicians that he played with better or making the people that he talked with on our breaks, like making their lives better or whatever it was. He was, he, he definitely had his, uh, he had a direction in life that he never strayed from. (laughs) Sure. And, you know, uh, we're, we're approaching about an hour talking and I've got maybe a third through the questions I have for you. Uh, I'm in no rush, man. I'm here all night. Well, you know, I think that we're definitely going to have to meet up again or maybe do a part two at some point. I mean, I'm not done with you. I've still got some things I want to talk about, but, you know, you're just bringing up some stuff that that, that brings things to me. You know, and I was going to ask you, you answered the question before I even asked you, but just, you know, what did you observe about how he would treat people? And you've answered that already, but, but that makes, that leads me into another question I had is with, you know, as you know, when you're playing in those bars, there's always drunk people around and you're going to get an unruly person or a person who's just beyond reason, you know, or a heckler, I guess, is a, is a pretty good general term for it. How did Ethan sure. deal with uh, hecklers or drunk, drunk girls asking for the same song five times over and stuff like that? I guess as a unit, how did you guys handle navigate those waters? Well, that was that was actually pretty easy. Um, he was good cop. I was bad cop. <laughs> Ethan was always the the nice the nice guy no matter pretty much no matter what anybody threw at him he would smile and he'd have some kind of he was, Ethan was great if people got too obnoxious Ethan was great at being passive aggressive to the point but with a smile on his face where people wouldn't know if he was serious or not um but yeah pretty much as long as we knew each other I was always bad cop and he was always good cop I always had to be the guy who was like Dude, can you please go the hell away? No, we're not playing Sweet Home Alabama again. <laughs> like, no, no, go away, dude. Shut up, or I'd be the guy that the guy's heckling us from the audience. I'd be the the comic, the stand up comic that had to go make fun of his girlfriend or something to make not of his girlfriend. I wouldn't do that, but make fun of his shoes or his life or something to make him go away. But. <laughs> And then Ethan would pretend like he didn't have anything to do with it. But he half the time, half the time he'd give me the uh, he'd give me the material on break. He'd be like, you know, what you should say to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he just never wanted to do it himself. <laughs> was there ever a time where you were just your candor was just all the way out there, and you just let someone have it or say something that pissed the audience off, and Ethan had to smooth it over for you? Remember? Oh yeah. Like <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean, 
I did that in I did that in the tape band days. I there was a there was a part of the of the time where like I said back when we started um Who's Your Daddy when I told him I said, "Look, we're just a bunch of guys getting drunk trying to pick up girls." Um that's that, I never kind of lost that mindset. I wouldn't say never. But it took me a long time to lose that mindset even after we started Tate in which um by that time we'd been, you know, in a band for six, seven years. And uh, I probably should have grown up a little bit more than I did by that time. So there was, there was more than an, more than one time that uh, I probably drank too much and probably mouthed off a little bit too much on stage. I don't, I'm sure you remember that was the 2000 to 2004 era where politics were huge, right? Where everything was about George Bush and, so I, I made the cardinal sin more than enough times of telling somebody they were an idiot because they had a George Bush t-shirt on or something or making some smart ass political comment on the microphone or I got us kicked out of uh kicked out of the train park, the McCormick Stillman uh McCormick is it McCormick Stillman Railroad Park up there in Scottsdale. They have the summer concert series every year. Uh-huh. Um and we played it one year and they never invited us back because I said something about, I don't remember what I said. I, I made some smart ass comment about George Bush on the microphone. And they're like, yeah, this is kind of, <laughs> this is Scottsdale where all the rich people live. Saying <laughs> something about George Bush on the microphone might not be the best thing for our clientele. <laughs> they never had us back. There was one guy at Jilly's one night that um, I got, I had way too much to drink and Ethan was just as mad. He was kind of he was kind of egging me on for the first uh, few minutes of it until I stepped over the line, and then he was like, "Okay, that's enough." <laughs> but I basically told a guy that I was going to take him out back and kick his ass if he didn't get out of my face. <laughs> and I said all this on the microphone. It was oh, really? I, I did it. I had a couple of unprofessional moments for sure. Mm. Um, Ethan was uh, Ethan was always kind of my my grounding rod. You know what I mean? Like he was. He was all the, always the guy that most of the time, not every time, he was always the guy that could go, hey, man, I agree with you. Let's pull it back a little bit. <laughs> I'd go, all right, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I, I hate to kind of think back on those days because uh, probably should have done better by, uh, by my own standards. But, uh I was still in party frat boy playing in a band, staying out till two in the morning mode, you know, that. So, but couldn't have done it without him. (laughs) All those, uh, man, all those years and all those gigs and all those performances, I'm sure they all kind of blur together after a while, but I mean, are are there any that you'd say were stick out in your mind or any, specific details you can remember of a favorite gig you had with them or or a least favorite gig that you guys had to pull through kind of thing or funny funny gigs or is there anything that comes to your mind when you think about all those years of gigs i don't i can't think of anything that really that sticks out in my mind that was 
far above everything else. Every every gig had its moments. There was always, I mean, there was a couple gigs that we had. We played the sports bar for a long time as a band, and it was such a drag. Nobody was ever there. And it got to be tedious because we'd sit there playing to nobody. And it wasn't great money, but at the time, all four of us, it was our only job, so we needed the money. So I'm sure you've had those gigs where you don't want to play them, but you do because you need the money right. um, back then. So there was there was always a few of those gigs that we just went, man, I don't want to play this gig tonight. Um, but the highs were the highs and the lows were the lows. And I wouldn't say anything, anything even really stuck up out, you know, above all the others. And I think the ones at the beginning with Who's Your Daddy at Enchiladas were probably the most fun I've ever had playing in a band because it was just nonsense. It was just absolute nonsense. It was just, we didn't even know what songs we were going to play. We just showed up and that crowd back then was just nothing but party throwing beer all over the room. You could, you could play the most ridiculous song and they would just, you know, Margaritaville and people would go crazy. Margarita, he's playing Margaritaville. They'd throw shit everywhere and, yeah, that was just that was probably the least. That was that was when the 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 most carefree that we were about anything else, and just were there for the fun is probably what I would say more than anything. And those gigs were always just a showcase for even for that matter. You know, they were always where he would he'd show up wearing some ridiculous outfit and a funny hat and. Just be the center of the show. <laughs> so, so in all those years, you guys had to have had some spats, you know, some conflict or things you didn't see eye to eye on, you know. And yeah, and, of course, of course, you know. And when that kind of stuff stuff would come up, I mean, what was the typical way for it to be resolved? You know, how would you guys get back to a good spot if you ever got out of out of your lane? You know, or it was, I think it was more of a, a, it was, I think it was just a kind of a quiet understanding. You know what I mean? Like, and we never had a fight to the point of like yelling at each other on the, you know, in person or on the phone and like, fuck you, man. Like that shit never, that never happened in the entire 20 years that we knew each other. It was, there was always a point where we could tell by the way the other person's acting if one of us was mad at the other person and Ethan being the person he was, he didn't like conflict. He didn't like conflict with anybody. Ethan was never a person to bring up a problem or to, he didn't like to be the person that would start conflict. He didn't like to be in the middle of it. He didn't even want anything to do with it. Um, so 90% of the time, um, whenever we'd get tired of each other, which happens when you play with somebody four nights a week for 10 years. Um, it was a kind of thing where we just kind of leave at the end of the night and be like, see you next week. Eh. <laughs> Good night, <laughs> Mr. Walters. Uh. And then we, you know, we'd give it a couple of days and then one of us would send the other one a funny text and we'd be like, all right, I get it. And then we just kind of come back. We, I'd say the the darkest times probably for us as far as being 
close and, and really good friends probably came towards, unfortunately, came towards the end of his life when there were so many other things going on in his life and so many other things going on in my life that uh, we probably weren't as tolerable of each other as we should have been in the times we started playing together less and less. And there was all the problems he had with, you know, I don't know if it's a topic you're going to bring up tonight, but all the, all the issues with Asia and all, and all that type of stuff, you know, it was, unfortunately we, we weren't as good as friends at the end of his life as we were in the years before that, if that makes any sense. So things sure. kind of tailed off towards the end. We were both busy doing our own thing. I had my wife and I had my kids and he had, you know, but he lived on the other side of town and had all his gigs that he was playing either by himself or that type of thing. So I got really busy with corporate work and didn't have as much time for acoustic gigs. And we started playing gigs with other people. So towards the end, we weren't playing together anywhere near as much and we weren't talking anywhere near as much. And not necessarily because we didn't love each other anymore, but just because life gets in the way and, sure. and your priorities become different, you know? Are there, are there any regrets that you have when it comes to the conflicts that you guys had over the years? Anything you wish you'd approach differently or that perhaps? I don't think approach? either one of, I don't think either one of us would say that. I mean, I, one thing that I was always good at for the most part is if I thought I was being, if I thought I was out of line or if I thought I was being an asshole, I may not say it that night, but if I knew I really rubbed him the wrong way or something, the next time I saw him, I, I was, I was always good at saying, Hey man, you know, uh, I apologize for whatever, you know, whatever it was. I didn't mean to do make you feel that way, whatever. And he was the same way. You know, if he'd, he'd call me up, if he was, uh, if he knew I was mad at him about something, he'd call me up and, um, if it was something that was going to keep us from laughing the next time we saw each other, like I said, that didn't happen very often. Usually it was just a, just walk away, walk away. I'll see you in a couple of days. <laughs> sure. Just um, but he was always good at calling and saying, and saying, Hey man, I'm sorry. If I pissed you off. Yeah. No worries, man. I know you by now. We've been, we've been, you know, close friends for 20 years now. I get it. Sure. I'd say my only regret was is that um, that we weren't really as good of friends at the end of his life as as we were before, and um, we actually had had a kind of a fight um, not too long before he caught COVID um, about some other stuff that uh, that we got we got to heal up we got to heal up and we talked to each other and smooth things out, but right about that time is when he caught COVID and we never got the chance to, we never got the chance to see each other and play together again. You know, there's always, it's like makeup sex. You know what I mean? <laughs> you guys get you and your wife or you and your girlfriend get mad at each other and then you have makeup sex, right? Well, with Ethan and I, we, we get mad at each other and we'd have a makeup, makeup gig <laughs> where we'd get back together and slam a few shots of Jägermeister or whatever. And, go back to doing what we do and laughing our asses off. So um, unfortunately we never got to have our makeup gig. <laughs> so it's uh we were in a good spot. We were, we were okay with each other, but it, uh, it I'd say if anything that still bugs me to, to this day is that, uh, is that um, I never got to say goodbye really. You know, when, when he passed, 
I probably hadn't seen him face to face in a month, two months, something like that. I probably hadn't seen him in probably two months. And there was a time in our lives where we saw each other four or five days a week for 10 years. You know what I mean? So it's kind of hard to go from being that close to somebody and seeing somebody every day of your life for so long to, to, to kind of not seeing them as much. But uh, yeah, I'd say that's the kind of the one regret I have is, is, uh, is not being able to spend more time with him before he passed. You know, one of the things I loved about Ethan is that he always, uh, like, for example, I was talking to Matt last night about um, how he used to leave those voicemail greetings on his phone. Remember, he'd change them up every week. And then he, <laughs> it's the most hilarious stuff. It'd be cool if you remembered some of them because we were kind of trying to remember. Oh, jeez. But, um, you know, he had he just had these, like, recurring, almost like Ethanisms. You, you yeah. know, do you yeah. remember any of those things that he used to do to get people ch chuckling? Are there any that you remember that over the years that stuck? God, if you, if you, if you wouldn't have hit me with the surprise, I probably could think of some, but I don't know if I can come up with them right now. Well, that's why I would, that's you know, why I was saying that we need to have a, a follow-up interview. That way you can listen to this interview and start writing some stuff down and even some stories. Sure. I'm sure you got a ton of stories, man. I can't even imagine. Oh man. I got, I got so many stories and you know, of course some of them are PG and some of them are rated R, but it's uh um, man, I wish I could remember. And it's funny. I was just thinking about this today, actually, because I'm not sure if you saw the post I reposted on Facebook the other day, but it was his voicemails kind of turned into his Facebook posts where he would do his, his weekly Facebook post about here's where I'm playing this week. And his kind of his Facebook posts always kind of mirrored that same kind of feeling like some kind of a joke, a picture of outer space or of Lucy. And there was always some kind of funny comments about who he was playing with that week. So it was, it kind of went that same, that same direction. Right. So it was, um, he was always a, a comedian with his phone calls and his Facebook posts. And I, I miss them a lot. It's yeah. I miss them terribly, especially yeah. cause I was in half of, <laughs> I was, I was in a lot of those posts and phone calls for a matter. I'm sure he made more than one phone message where he said, uh yeah, Todd Miller's Todd Miller will be at whatever. If you see Todd Miller, tell me that he's a punk or like I don't know whatever. <laughs> yeah, he used to do that kind of thing. It was hilarious, man. Oh um, yeah. Gosh, it's escaping me. I I had something on my mind and it's escaping me now because I started thinking because then I started trying to remember some of those messages that he would do, you know, and the and the Facebook stuff. It was just so fun. Oh, I know. He used to every once in a while he'd go Chucky Todd, Chucky Todd. What the hell was that, man? Where did that come from? Do you Chucky know what, Todd? Do you know what that is? No. When, when did he do that? Maybe it's something he was doing behind your back then. <laughs> he used to go. You say, say, yeah, I'm playing with Chucky Todd tomorrow night or whatever. And, and I always used to think, Chucky Todd, what the hell is that? So you don't. You know, oh. You have no Chucky recollection Todd. of that, do you? No, I don't remember that. Okay, I'm gonna have to I'm ask. Sure Alex. Had, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was some kind of a reference of me uh, 
turning into a devil baby or something. It's a devil. <laughs> was that doll? That, wasn't it? Was it Chucky yeah, like a like some kind of a devil doll of some kind or something? Yeah, I it had some it reference would, to that. I always figured, yeah, it was some kind of reference to that, but. He would just, he'd go like this, Chucky Todd, Chucky Todd. <laughs> I'll play Chucky Todd tomorrow. <laughs> Probably had some cutting to do with the faces that I made also. Oh, man. <laughs> you remember the last gig? Remember the last gig you guys played together? Um, pretty sure it was um, maybe four or five months before he died, we played together at the living room in uh, North Scottsdale. Um, and that was actually one of the, that was kind of the, the beginning of the, of the argument between us. Um, and like I said, we, we had our few minutes away from each other and then made up over the phone. All right, man, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Well, we got this gig coming up in a few weeks. Um, after we kind of made our made up, um, and then he got COVID. So I'm pretty sure it was North Scottsdale, a place called the living room. Um, it's a great place. I'm playing, I'm still playing there today. I do it with Matt Henderson, in fact, um, who you interviewed last night. I think you said yeah, Matt mentioned that so you had Matt, sometimes. Yeah. Matt, Matt has stepped in to, to fill Ethan's shoes and, um, I love Matt to death. We have a we have a lot of fun playing together, um, and right, like you said, you know, you learn a little bit from everybody, right? And so now I'm now I get to learn a lot of stuff from Matt Henderson too, which is great. Um, but yeah, that's we're still there every Sunday. But I'm pretty sure that's the last time I played with Ethan was that it was a Sunday night, maybe four or five months before he died. You could do it, man. If you could say one last thing to him, what would you what would you say if we could <coughs> say that last thing to Ethan that you want to get off your mind? I don't know if I'd have to, you know. It's mm -hmm. he and I were so close and we knew each other so well that it was always a thing that we didn't have to say anything to each other. We knew what we were thinking, you know. That's yeah, that's why we never really had fights. <laughs> right. It's it's like we intuitively knew what the other guy was thinking and we either understood it or we did it. You know what I mean? Like it's and if we did it, we just let it go. You know, there's sure. sometimes there was no understanding what that he had a stance on something that I didn't agree with and there was <laughs> all right, I don't get it, but okay, whatever. And vice versa. Or I'd I'd take a stand on something that he didn't agree with. And we never we just never actually had fights because I think we knew each other so well and intuitively knew, you know, intuitively knew what each other was thinking. So I don't know if I'd have to say anything. I think it would be more a look than it would be anything else. Sure. You know what I mean? Like yeah. with him and I, it was always more of a, it was always more of a looking at it, you know, look at each other in the eyes and be like, all right, I got it. You know, it's, yeah. it's like we were clair, not clairvoyant. What's that word? When, what's the word when you can read people's oh. minds that, yeah, when you're um, – oh, darn it. Man, that's the thing about getting older, right? Simple words are just falling yeah. right out of your head. <laughs> not clairvoyant, not omnipotent. Uh, what's what's the word? Telekinesis. Uh, that's what it is. Telekinesis. Telekinesis. Yeah. Telekinetic. 
and we we could look at each other from across the room for so long and just know exactly what was going on um but i mean but of course i'd tell him i love him um and i miss him but i think that's kind of the standard answer that everybody would say you know sure it's there's there's nothing really special about saying he knew i wouldn't have to tell him that he knows (laughs) with me i'd I'd more like to just i'd like to give him a hug and look at his face one more time it's probably what i'd rather do than say anything (laughs) that's an awesome answer man yeah that's true before i let you go todd um there's something that alan chadwick asked me to bring up to you and he uh, was, he told me this story and he was laughing the whole time. And it was about when you guys were in Tate, you had to put some kind of a promotional DVD together. <laughs> and uh, you left I town. Know this is going already. So you left town <laughs> and then yeah. Tony, Ethan, and Alan got together in the studio and started cooking up all kinds of fun st- stuff for you to see on this dvd cover or something like that and, yeah uh, yeah we so tell me about that oh what's geez. your take on it <laughs> well we were playing getting ready to play this party um yeah. that was in front of um like it was a company that hired us he's the middle guy right there's the big corporations that come into town and there's all the dmcs the destination management companies And this guy was the intermediary that um, was putting on a big show for all the event planners in town. And it was going to be kind of our showcase. So we decided we were going to put together a promo package to hand out to the 30, 40, whatever event planners that were there at the time in, in order to try to get more corporate work. Um, I went in, I was leaving town. I don't remember where I went. I forget where I was going. But it had to be done um, like the day I got back or pretty closely like the week I got back. Um, and so I recorded my vocals before I left. And then I said, I took off out of town and Alan Chadwick is a master. The guy, the guy was mind numbing to watch play the guitar, as you remember. He was just effortless. Didn't even look like he was trying 90% of the time. Just just kind of would just stand there. And I remember watching people watch him. And I remember watching people watch him with this puzzled look on their faces, like, wait, that's coming from that guy? (laughs) How is he making all that amazing sound? And just, he looks like he could be eating a cheeseburger at the same time, you know? (laughs) But one thing that Alan Chadwick wasn't, you have to remember that Alan Chadwick, we'd only been a band for a very short while. And I'd only known Alan for maybe, I don't know, a year at the time, if that long. Um, he didn't pay much attention to detail like spelling <laughs> and capitalization and punctuation in any of his emails or any of his that kind of thing. In fact, Alan, if you, if you get a chance to talk to him again, he actually used to take a stance that um, grammar was stupid or spelling was stupid because... As, as long as you could understand what word somebody's trying to write, you should, what does it care how you spell it? Right. That was, that's kind of how I remember him talking. To like, so, so before I left town, I, um, I didn't know Alan well enough yet. He don't, like I said, we'd only known each other for a very short while. And he was such an incredible guitar player that I didn't want to piss him off. I didn't want him to leave the band or anything. So I remember being like, okay, man, great. 
you take care. He was a masterful guitar player and a great studio guy and mixed stuff. Fantastic. All right, man, take care of it. And I remember sending Ethan an email saying, hey, do me a favor. When Alan puts this thing together, um, make sure you spell check it. Make sure you, you know, he doesn't pay much attention to, to the details, you know, make sure everything's spelled right. If I'm going to hand this out to all the event planners, I can't have all these errors on it, having us look like we're not professionals. So I sent Ethan an email and I didn't find out till years later that he, he actually showed Alan that email. <laughs> so while I was gone, they made the real demo. They put it together. But then one of them had the uh, idea to um, make a fake one to make me angry. <laughs> so they made a fake demo, um, they made the picture kind of funny, and they also spelled a bunch of shit wrong on the CD label. Like they put, they spelled Beatles with two E's instead of E-A or something like that. And they, maybe it was three E's. I think it was like <laughs> something ridiculous. The songs were out of order, like, Song three was supposed to be something and it was something else. Like it was horrible. It was bad. And they gave it to me one night after a gig we had at Jilly's. Um, <clears throat> Alan, they, they were all in on the joke, of course. Alan gave it to me. Uh, no, they left it on my windshield of my car. That's what it was. Uh, they all took off and I was still flirting with the bartender or something. I went out and I saw it and I'm like, oh, cool. Picked it up, looked at it. And I went, all right. I looked at the label and went, oh, no. And I popped it in. The songs were all out of order. And I went, at the time, I'd had a little bit to drink. And I called up, I called up, my first call was to Alan. And I was like, like I said, I hadn't known him for very long. And I didn't want him to, I didn't want to make him mad because I didn't want him to leave the band. So I was really nice. I was like, Alan, hey, I just got a chance to look at the the demo that you left on my windshield. Hey man, I'm not sure if you noticed, but there's there's some things that are wrong with this. Like the Beatles is spelled wrong, this, 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 and and yeah, the songs are out of order. And and then, but then because you know, Ethan and I were Ethan and I, I called Ethan and I was like, yeah, Ethan didn't answer, so I left him a message and I'd had a little bit to drink. I was like, what the fuck, dude? I told you to pay attention. Why didn't you check this? The gigs in like two days. Are we gonna have time to fix this? God damn it, man. I God, I told you he doesn't pay attention to this kind of shit. So I went off to Ethan's on Ethan's voicemail about about the shitty uh, demo thing. Um, but I left a much nicer message on Alan's voicemail because he and I and I were not the kind of friends that Ethan and I were at that time. <laughs> and I didn't feel like I had the uh, I didn't have the right to quite dress him down appropriately yet. So, uh, yeah, they pulled over a good one on me. The next time, nobody called me back. Nobody said anything until I think the next day. We might have had a gig the next day. We walked in, and I kind of glared at everybody, and everybody just fell down. They started laughing so hard. They just just laughing their asses off. They got me good, for sure. <laughs> they totally busted me. Alan told me why they left it on. And, of course, the – Oh, go ahead. Of course, what? I said I said they the one that they had put together was actually fantastic. So it was – they they pulled they pulled one over on me big time. It, they were they knew they wouldn't be able to keep a straight face, so they put it yeah. on your windshield, hoping that you exactly and left. Yeah, it worked. It worked. It was a pretty fun gag. The other <laughs> funny thing they did was um, when the, we were doing the cover for the CD, um, Alan's roommate at the time was doing the photoshopping on it, and we were supposed to go to a gig that night. 
Um, and everybody else took off and I stayed behind a little bit longer than the rest of them. I mean, I'm just the acoustic guitar player. I walk in, I plug in, right. I'm ready to go. Um, so I stayed behind and I was almost late getting to the gig because I stayed behind because I was like, wait, the way my legs were, I'm like, my crotch is a little, uh, like, can you bring the seam of my pants up higher? It looks like I've got him carrying a load type of thing. <laughs> and <laughs> I think it was Tony's idea. Tony actually made him drop my crotch even farther. And he also made him make my head. I think my head was twice as big as it was supposed to be. Oh, man. And actually, that was the last thing I noticed. I didn't even see that because it was dark when they put it on my windshield. I didn't even notice that till later. But, yeah. It was, you don't uh, still have that thing, do you? <laughs> no, I don't have, but I think, I think Kirsten has it. I think Kirsten still has it, because I think Ethan kept it. I think I might have thrown it at him at the next gig or something. <laughs> like, fuck you, man, take this back. <laughs> Alan told me yeah, they even I, I like, think... they even went through all the the vocal tracks and like picked the worst, the worst. Oh team. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah especially on alan's song because alan i think sang one of the songs and he actually he actually picked I, mean, I, was like, <laughs> I was like why did you choose that vocal for this song it's like it's so off keys oh they deliberately they, everything was t- it was just it was perfect because it was just good enough to make you think that they may have thought that it was good enough but it was really bad it was it was bad enough to make you go wait a minute that can't be right but just good enough to make you go Huh. Did they mean to do that? <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious, dude. Oh, oh that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. Oh. Uh, will you so will you think of some specific stories and some other stuff that you can share with us? Because I know I'm not the only one who wants to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. When you get back together again. Yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got so many. I've got so many pictures. I've got so many memories. That's what I probably should have done. Is I've got a I've got a photo album with so many pictures of him and I. Um, just random pictures from random. I don't know if he received the invite, but I created a Facebook page for this uh, podcast, <clears throat> and uh, my idea is to invite people to post uh, pictures or videos or even write down memories. Cause I know there's a lot of people who knew Ethan that didn't necessarily perform with them or hang out with them, but they would just see him at shows and stuff like that. And yeah. you know, for people like that, who don't feel as if though they're worthy of an, of a hour long interview, um, it would be cool if they could just type up, I remember seeing Ethan and this, this is what he'd say, or this is what he'd do. So, you know, absolutely. You find that invite, you know, get it's just remembering Ethan podcast. Um, put some of those pictures up there, man. I'd, I'd love to see some of that stuff, you know, and that's yeah, just I've what got, I was I've got a couple, I've got a couple albums full of them, so I'll track them down. Yeah, there's some absolutely. some amazing pictures on there that that I look at and go, Whoa, <laughs> you're so young and so skinny. skinny. Yeah, <laughs> had so much hair. <laughs> Mike Hill uh, was my first interview and I was telling him about how, you know, when, I, like I mentioned earlier, I was going down to Green Bay and I found myself in a group of kids one night and it, it struck me all, you know, like a train hitting me like, oh, I'm, the, I'm that old dude. I remember from when I was a kid, there's always one old dude hanging out, you know, and that's me yeah. now, but. You know, and, and and Mike goes, yeah. There's always one old crusty dude. 
And and go, always. Oh, man, we can't be the old crusty guy, you know. But um, <laughs> it's it's fun to think back and look at pictures and stuff like that. Oh, and Mike said, yeah, that was back when we were 20 pounds lighter and had a whole bunch more hair. And I was like, yeah, yeah those were the days, man. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, Todd, man, you've been so generous with your time tonight, man. I really appreciate it. And I know that everyone listening has been hanging on to your words because everybody knows that you guys were real close for a real long time, you know? Yeah. And, and hey, man, I wanted to say that I appreciate you coming up with this idea and sure. following it through, too. I know it's a lot of work, so I know all of us appreciate you actually uh, putting this project together. So thank you as well, man. Of course, Todd. Yeah. And people yeah. who didn't know him, I'd love for people who didn't know him to listen and, and get to know him a little bit, too. To wish to you. I think the whole idea of this is for those that didn't get to meet him to, to wish they would have, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm looking at kind of the last text message I got from him was about two and a half weeks before he passed. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, I haven't looked at these texts in a little while, but there's some pretty, uh, there's some pretty good shit in here, man. That's I'd like to, you know, every time you switch phones, it gives you that option of just how many, just how many text messages would you like to say, right. <laughs> you know? And you always like, Oh, last year is fine. Yeah. Um, I wish I had all 15 years of text messages between them. Oh, between man. Us. This is, this was a great picture. One of the, this was one of the ones, I don't know if you can see that if I can shield the, no, you can't really see it. Yeah, it's a light. picture of me and Ethan and Dean Miller. Uh, uh -huh. That's hard to see. I'll post a bunch of stuff on yeah. that site. But. Put it on the web. Put put it on the Facebook page, man. I'd love to see that stuff. You know. Yeah, for sure. That'd be great. So much good stuff. Yeah, I, I haven't. I haven't taken the time to scroll back through this to see how far back our messages do go, but it's pretty. Some of them are are pretty hilarious. You want to share a couple before we say goodbye, or do you want some time to sit with them and pick them out? Um, I'd probably have to go through them to okay. I have to go through them to find the funny ones. You know, some a lot of them are just like, "Hey, who's bringing the gear on Sunday or or whatever?" <laughs> right. So, but I'll before the next time I talk to you, I'll pick out some funny okay. ones. Okay, for sure. So, sounds good, man. Well, Todd, you're looking as handsome as ever, and uh, you're aging well like a fine wine, and I can only hope that I look as good as you in a couple years, and um, I, I appreciate all <laughs> your stories. More than a couple years. <laughs> you're a good well, liar, and it's more than a couple years. <laughs> no, I'm not lying. Let's see. I'm 40. I'm about to turn 48, uh, so you only have about four years on me. That's not that far. In a I'm six, brother. I'm 54. Okay, well, we can lie and say four. Why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. My ex, my ex is still twenty nine, according to her. So, <laughs> well, although I think she went to thirty nine, I think she may have actually given up on oh, twenty nine. Went to thirty. Made the made the jump. Okay, she's not going to get made the jump. She's not going to get <laughs> out at her if she hears this, is she? No, I, I certainly hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Man. I, it's like we definitely have to talk more because it's like four minutes ago. I was thinking, okay, I'm gonna say bye now, but uh <laughs> yeah, there's still there's still a hundred yeah, things I could tell you. There's yeah. still we'll get together again, man. I, I appreciate it, Todd. You have a good night, man. Yeah, we'll, come up with we'll talk soon. 
come up with another list and we'll do Todd part two. Let's do it. And you write some things down that come to you as time goes on too. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, man. Take care. All right, Chris. Thanks a lot. Well, that was a fun and heartfelt conversation with Todd, and I am envious about the fact that he got to spend so much time with Ethan over the years. If you'd like to keep up with Todd, he is on Facebook, and I'm sure he'd be happy uh, to have a couple more Facebook friends. Please join me next week when I'll be speaking with Doug Bale, who was the uh, frontman for a band called Murgatron. Uh, back in the days of us all playing together and performing. He was also Alan Chadwick's roommate for a while and did a lot of graphic art for all of us in the music scene. He's a very interesting guy, and I'm excited for you to hear our conversation. Well, I'd like to leave you today with a song that reminds me of the era in which I met Ethan, and this was actually the first song that I performed with him at the open mic that uh, the guys who ended up becoming the band Tate were hosting, which was Tony King, Alan Chadwick, Todd, and Ethan. And uh, we recorded this song with the Christofoya band. And it's actually a cover from a hip hop group called The Far Side. And the name of the song is Oh Shit. And on this song, you can hear Ethan do a killer impression of Woody Woodpecker. Well, as usual, I appreciate everyone who is following the podcast, and I hope that you are enjoying listening to these conversations about Ethan. I hope everyone out there is doing well, and we'll see you soon. Said to myself so that I wouldn't worry Sitting on the couch with Greg, please hurry 
She offered me a cup of ripple Broke out the titty Squeeze that nipple Said suck it if you like But please don't bite it Had a urge to say fuck it But I knew I had to fight it Before I could say Alexander Palm and wow I got this old bitch in a doggy style Greg walked in the room Uh, yeah Cole had a fit But all this numbs Cole could say Was uh-oh-oh-oh-oh-oh Motherfucker say what? Ah shit, come on, yeah! Ah shit, come on! Summertime, Sunday evening. Crenshaw Boulevard was in full swing. Perfect example of how looks can be deceiving. I rolled up to what I thought was a pretty young thing. Rolling in a purple samurai Suzuki. Dookie braids was the A to a sex appeal. Dude, she was dope. Man, real dope. On the real. Well, anyway, I went to two. She said, hey, a beep, beep. The next day, rolled down to the beach. Tuesday, me and my new Crenshaw cutie. Cooling on the beach and now she rubbing on my booty. Suck, suck, sucking on my neck like Dracula. But it wasn't all that spectacular. Every time I tried to touch a little brown titty, she would be like, quit. <laughs> Bitch was frontin', but I didn't say nothing. Then all of a sudden, as I saw someone pushed a button, got a funny feeling like something was real wrong. Looked at her shoes and her feet was real long. Then it hit me. Up each got no. Don't let this whole turn out to be a John Doe. He pulled a fast one on me. Yo, I guess that's one of those things that makes you go shit. Ah, shit. Motherfucker say what? Ah, shit. Come on, huh? Ah, shit. Yeah, come on! 